Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Daily Dop Differently as we learn Trakik Nidarim, page 77. I'm Jeremy Kalmanovsky. Happy to be learning a little Talmud with you. Yesterday we did the end of page 76. We got onto the top of 77 and started talking about the intersection of laws of Shabbat with the nullifying of vows. And we're going to switch over a little bit to talk about not the husband nullifying the vows, but uh, the the style in which or the circumstances under which a sage nullifies the vows. If a person, man, woman, whatever, needs needs to nullify a vow, uh, they can seek out a sage and they can find some reason to nullify the vow. And we're going to note again that on Shabbat this is this is permissible, but the Gemara is worried that um, that uh, it it looks a little too unShabbosdic. Uh, it'll be confusing, so there are certain ways in which it should happen differently on Shabbat than it should happen in another day. So, for example, Savar Rav Yosef Lememar Nishali Nidarin B'Shabbat. Rav Yosef began, he, he, he intended to rule that sages may be asked to nullify vows on Shabbat. B'yachid mumcha'in b'shlosha hediotot lo. But he wanted to restrict that power. There are two ways in which third parties can nullify the vow. One, if you ask an official sage, an officially uh, empowered sage, that person can do so yachid, yachidi, can do so all alone. Or a panel of three of your peers, even if they are not legal experts, may do it. So Rav Yosef thought that what he would say is that we can nullify those vows on Shabbat, third party nullification, but only in the yachid mumcha only in the case of the one sage, not in the gathering up of three non-experts. Why? Because it looks as though you're convening a court, and if the three, if the three judges were to sit there and do it, it would certainly look like a court, and probably we shouldn't do that on Shabbat. His student, Abaye, says to him, Amarle Abaye, Kevan disviralan afilu meumad, afilu kurovin, afilu balayla, no, there are a number of, Rabbi says to him, no, I don't think you're thinking about this correctly. Uh, there are a number of ways in which that group of three people, that panel of three people, nullifies a vow, all of which differ from typical court procedures. For example, they do it while standing in a court. The judges have to be seated. Um, they can do it even though they are relatives of the party. In a court, that doesn't work. The judges must be non-related. It can even happen, the nullification of the vow can even happen at night, none of which is applicable in a court case. So, rules. it won't look like a court case, and therefore it should be okay whether it's a yachid mumcha, a single expert judge, or even a panel of three, they can still nullify their colleague's vow. And then we'll go on down there at the bottom of 77a to note that Rav himself behaved in that way, that he would, he would, uh, judge while standing, he would nullify a vow while standing, and at night, 
which really proves that this is not like a court case at all and seems to endorse Abaye's view. Now, that prompts the Gemara to ask another question, and this question is, is important because it reflects something about how the sages view uh, the process of nullification in general. What are the grounds by which a vow can be nullified? With this husband and wife situation, it's simply the husband's power. It's not, not a feminist thing to say, but in this system, she works for him. He's in charge, and he simply gets to decide. He is an intermediary between her and her own religious devotion. But in the other cases, not the husband and wife situation, what grounds does a sage have for permitting somebody to, uh, to nullify their vow? Must it be, A, some defect in the vow itself, some unclarity in the original vow that gives, gives the sage the ground to say, well, actually there's a technical problem here, Here's the, and the technical problem gives you the escape clause? Or is it simply enough to say uh, that, that the person, the vowing person, says, whoa, I never really thought it would come to this, I'm really sorry I did this, and that should be enough. That, that latter position is called potchin becharata. We open up the vow with simple regret. Okay? So if you take the first position, this is a rather technical, specific, important legal determination. And if you take the second position, it's really kind of a small formality. Now, Abaye, we just heard him say, and Rav, we just saw him say, they would nullify vows while standing. Back a page or so ago, it, it even said something quite quite funny. Uh, it actually appears to be out of place at the bottom of 76b. This little this little item uh, uh, at the bottom of 76b reports that Chia the son of Rav and Rabba Bar Rav Huna would would rule in these nullifying vow cases in very casual ways. Chia son of Rav would be would be shooting arrows. Uh, uh, in the middle of his archery practice, he would he would nullify a vow. And Rabba Rav Huna, he would sit, he would stand. It was no big deal. Um, and I don't know why it's th that position that that little report is given on 76b. It really belongs here. Those positions indicate that potchin becharata. It doesn't require a judge's full attention. All he has to hear is somebody come before him and say, "I'd like to get out of the vow," and out he is. In contrast. On 77b, near the top, we see a different view from a very estimable early authority. Vehatanya, Yarad Rabban Gamliel, Min Hachamor, Venitatef, Vyashav, Vehitirlo Nidro. A case of Rabban Gamliel, who descended from the donkey he was riding, Nitatef, he wrapped himself up in his most formal, estimable garment, sat down, and nullified a vow. This is the very opposite from the from the story of Chia Barav, who who would nullify the vows in the middle of archery practice. Rabban Gamliel clearly is 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 uh, convening a formal sort of legal determination. And the Gemara goes on and explains his view. Rabban Gamliel Savar Ein Potchin Becharata. Rabban Gamliel is of the view. Actually, the word Ein is missing from our uh, uh, our text, but it is. Um, clearly the, the correct position. It appears to be, uh, as it were, a sort of typo. Ein potchin becharata. You don't open up the vow out of the mere regret of the vowing person. Me'akar nidarabainan. We must uproot the vow on some technical grounds why the vow was incorrect. Uba'e iyune. And that requires real study. Aha, aha yashav. 
and that's why he sat down. Virav Nachman Savar, and Rav Nachman, who I didn't mention his name before, but he's the person who reports how Rav would would uh, nullify vows in a very casual way. Rav Nachman Savar, Potchin Becharata. You can nullify a vow. You can quote open up the vow with the mere regret of the vower. The Afilu Meumad, and therefore it can be done standing. It doesn't require this whole formal court position. It would seem that each of these two positions has a very different approach to what a vow is all about. Uh, Rabban Gamliel would appear to take it all a little bit more seriously, and for Rav Nachman and the later sages, it appears to be somewhat more nominal. Igmara goes on and gives us a little bit of a sermon. Uh, it reports that that Rava says to Rav Nachman, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly how to interpret this uh, in terms of stage directions. Rav Nachman, who reported that one can take vows a little bit a little bit loosely in terms of at least in terms of annulling the vow, gets a report that uh, that one of the rabbis came from Palestine, Palestine, and reported that the that the sages there annulled a vow of Rav Huna Bar Avin. But when they did annul that vow, they gave him a little bit of a speech, and they said, "Zilu al dechatat." They nullified his vow, but they said, Go pray for mercy for your soul, because you have sinned. Ditani Ravdimi Ahuad Rav Safra, for Ravdimi, the, son, the uh, brother of Rav Safra, taught Kol Hanoder, Afal that anyone who takes a vow, though he does fulfill the vow, is nonetheless a sinner. You shouldn't, you shouldn't make vows. Right? So I, I would guess that the stage direction on this is that, is that Rava... You may agree with Rav Nachman as a matter of law. By the way, this is a matter of law, that vows can be annulled simply uh, out of the regret of the vower. But Rav Nachman gives the little sermon to let you know that if you make a vow, this is really serious. It is a statement of your soul before God. Don't take it lightly. So the, the Palestinian sages told Rav Huna, you have to, we're going to get you out of this as a technical matter, but you still have to address God and beg forgiveness. Uh, Rav Zvid gave a verse to prove that that says, The verse from the book of Deuteronomy that says, when you, when you refrain from vowing, there's no sin in that, which implies that if you, if you do vow, there is a kind of a sin in making a promise that you may or may not keep up. Better not to make those promises altogether. So the sages, I think, though the rule is that you can get out with relative ease, um, you, you probably ought to have the fear of God in you about the promises that you make between you and God. All right, thanks for learning today with me. Look forward to learning again tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.